those of you who don't know me, my name is my name is James. I'm on staff here at Southampton Vineyard. I'm married to the lovely, beautiful, wonderful Jane. We sat at the front here. Um, I've been a part of this church for about 15 years now, which is much longer than I sort of remembered when I uh, started writing this. Um, we're doing a series at the moment um, on why I love Jesus, and um, Neil and Kate have asked me to share with you one of the many reasons that. I personally love, love Jesus. And we're going to start by looking at a passage from the Gospel of John. Um, so if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn with me to John 15, 4 to 8. I think the words will appear on the screen, but I have no idea what version it is. So it says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. J.C. Ryle, who was um, an Anglican bishop in Liverpool in the late 19th century, describes what it means to remain in Jesus. He said this, When Jesus said, remain in me, he meant cling to me, stick fast to me, live a life of close and intimate communion with me, Get nearer and nearer to me. Roll every burden on me. Cast your whole weight on me. Never let go of your hold of me for a moment. Be, as it were, rooted and planted in me. Do this, and I will never fail you. When I first um, came to this church, South of Southern Vineyard, 15 years ago, something happened that I didn't completely understand. I encountered something during worship like we've just had the first time I came to this church. And I didn't really know what it was. And what I've discovered since is that my experience is not uncommon. I meet Christians and non-Christians alike who will come into church services like this one and something will happen to them during worship that they can't explain or understand. And more than that, I've discovered that It is also the heritage, our heritage, within the vineyard. And it's not just my story, it's not just our story and this church's story, but beyond that, it is the vineyard movement story from over 40 years ago when, when this thing first started. And what I wanted to do today was to tell you that story, the story really of how this group of churches called the vineyard began. And in telling you this story, my hope and Um, is that it will explain and it will demonstrate to you one of the things that I love about Jesus the most. And that is that I love Jesus because through him, we get to worship God intimately, fulfilling the deepest need and longing within ourselves to remain in him. And not only that, but as we bless him, as we worship him, and as we remain in him, we ourselves get blessed. We ourselves get transformed. Or as John 15 says, we, we, bear, we bear fruit. So I'm taking this story 
um, from, this is from teaching from a long time ago, from Anaheim uh, Vineyard, they, something they did on worship, and, and specifically from someone called Carol Wimber, um, who is someone uh, who was involved in the very initial meetings of the vineyard, even before John Wimber was on the scene, um, before it was even called a vineyard. And it's a story about worship, but it's also a story about intimacy. Now, Carol Wimber was, um, and John at this time, were, were part of a Quaker church in Southern California. And uh, she, was, she was seeking the Lord one day. And the Lord um, spoke to her. And the way she describes it is she said she saw, um, she had a vision whereby she saw the word worship. And it appeared to her like the headline of a newspaper. So from that point, she knew that worship was important. But at the same time, she had very little understanding of what worship was. The church they were part of had something which they called a worship service. But she couldn't necessarily identify which part of that was worship. They would even sing songs and hymns, some of which were she would describe as they were really powerful and they stirred their hearts. But they weren't worship. However, every so often, they would sing words in their, in their services like, my Jesus, I love you. And something would happen to them that they couldn't really identify, something they couldn't understand. And what was happening was that those songs were stirring a need in themselves, a need that all Christians have, whether we realize it or not, which is to worship. The issue was for them that they didn't really know or understand what worship meant, was meant to look like. Not long after that, a bunch of friends from that church um, had, a, had got together at someone's house in California. Um, and a guy called Carl Tuttle, some of you might have heard of, in their group, had got hold of um, a guitar and uh, an old uh, Calvary Chapel songbook, which had some choruses in it. And um, they would gather around in these meetings and they would sing songs from this songbook. Um, and Carol says that at first nothing, nothing would really happen. And so they started to talk about what worship was and what was happening when they were singing in, in different ways and, and they would talk about what was working and what was not working. And they noticed that they, would, they were often singing songs about what they were going to do. So they would sing songs like, Come, let us worship and bow down or we're going to worship you. And they would sing songs about God and about who he was. But So they'd sing about it and talk about it, but they never actually did it. They never actually worshipped God. And that just didn't satisfy their soul. It didn't satisfy their need to worship. And then every once in a while, they would stumble across a song which really fed that desire within their hearts. And that desire was growing and growing. And they were intimate songs to Jesus. Songs of love. Songs of devotion. Songs of, of surrender. Now while all this was going on, as they were trying to understand what worship was, something really significant was also happening. And that was that there was worship going on in their lives personally. When they were alone at home, they were worshipping. And this isn't because they knew it was something they were supposed to do. 
It was because they had a deep desire in their hearts to, for intimacy with God. And they weren't actually singing when they were at home on their own. Um, but they were worshipping. They were, they were getting on their knees. They were bowing down physically before the Lord. And at the same time as this was going on, Carol also started to do a study on what worship was and discovered that the word worship meant to bow down, to prostrate yourself before the Lord. Now, they were too shy to do that in public, in, in services like this, lift their hands. But on their own, they would, um, they would lift their hands in their living rooms and they would bow down on their own. And some of them began to sing in tongues when they were alone. And they were, they were ashamed of doing that. They didn't understand why they were doing that at the time. And as they did this, there was a growing hunger for the Lord when they met together corporately. And they realized that what went on in their private lives as worshippers affected what went, went on with them corporately when they met together. And it's the same with us. If we hunger after the Lord individually, outside of these four walls, it will spill out into our corporate worship. And they had a revelation at some point during this process when they realized that, that God actually gets something out of worship. It is the main thing that God gets out of our relationship with him. It blesses God when we raise our hands in worship. And worship has no other purpose than to bless God. It is just for him. And it became enough to just worship him. I've got a short video quickly I want to show you. This is from John Wimber, Carol's husband. The quality is terrible, so I apologize for that. But um, you'll get the gist of it. Over the years, I, having been a pastor quite a few years, I've heard numerous times, oh, I didn't get anything out of worship. <laughs> and, I, and I gently explain to them, you're not supposed to get anything out of worship. You're supposed to give something out of worship. It's not for you, it's him. Years and years ago, I was at uh, one of my friend, children's friends' birthday party. She was only six, if I remember right. And we went, and her older sister, who was eight, was angry. Because everything, all the birthday stuff said the other girl's name, and all the birthday stuff was for her. It had pictures of her all over the house and all over the patio area. And there was a big prize and gift for her, and there was a cake for her. And the mother had, at one point, the older sister was stamping her foot and in, just with indignant rage, you know. And her mother had to pull her aside, and I still remember her gently but firmly saying, it's not about you. It's about your sister. It's your sister's birthday, not your birthday. I've never forgotten that. Now, I don't mean to do that to you, but I want you to know it's not about you. It's about him. It's about you growing closer to him. It's about you being prepared by the blood of Jesus through the forgiveness of God, by the drawing of God to, to worship him. So worship isn't for you, it's for him. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's for him. <laughs> now, if you got that, you got the price of admission right there. Because that's what it's all about. No, I love it. I like what happens. I like the dynamic of it, the vibes and all. I mean, I love it. And uh, it, it's a, a major, major part of my life. But the a center of it is 
does it please you, Lord? Does it please you? Does our collecting together and worshiping, congregating together and worshiping please you? Is it blessing you, Lord? Because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. A good worship service then has both the dynamic of being graded and received in heaven as well as what happens here. We might walk away and say, well, that was a good one, but the Lord's going. <laughs> you know, you're drawing near to me with your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. That was ha what happened in the Gospels, remember? And so it's very important for us to understand that worship, beginning and end, is for God. And that this is preparation for that that is to come. In corporate worship, the, the aim, the purpose, I think, is intimacy. It's to get to that place where we are singing to Jesus, right in the throne room, right into Jesus' face, blessing him, being intimate with him. And Carol talks about the highest form of that being singing in the Spirit, singing in tongues. And that's it. That's why we exist. It's one of the many reasons I love Jesus. He enables me to intimately worship my maker, which I was designed to do. Because only Jesus satisfies that longing, that hunger within me. And I can try to fill it with, with other stuff, but only intimacy with Jesus is enough. And that's part of what happened to me the first day I walked into this church. The something that was happening was that I was meeting the deep, deep need within me. And it had never been filled before. That need to not sing about what, was going, what I was going to do, but actually worship him. To actually bless God through bowing down with my body and with my words and saying, I love you, Jesus. I surrender my life to you. Because that's what's required. He wants everything of us, all of who we are, and total and utter surrender. And the amazing thing is that we cannot bless God without him in turn blessing us. In his presence, you cannot be phony or unreal. You cannot be exclusive. You, can, you cannot hide your problems or your sin. If you are singing into the face of Jesus, if you're truly doing that, all of those things come with you. And you have to allow God, allow Jesus to intervene in your life. And he does. And as John 15 says, if we remain in him, if we are truly intimate with Jesus, then, he, then we'll bear much fruit. And I think there's an extent to which, I'm ad-libbing now, so this is dangerous. Uh, I feel that there's an extent to which we, um, we ignore God in our worship, and we choose, we like to sing songs about God because they're non-threatening. We can sing about how great God is, whereby we're saying he's great, because we know that stuff. But the danger, the thing that, that's really powerful is when we, we present ourselves, we give ourselves over, and it's actually dangerous, because it feels like we're going to have to actually address our crap. We're going to have to address our sin if we are face-to-face -face with Jesus. And we, we, sometimes we don't like that. And so I think we need to 
we, we always need songs where we're singing about God. We need to be, be doing those things. But we also need to never forget about the intimacy. So I love Jesus because he transforms us through getting, through getting to know him more. He changes us and transforms us when we remain in him, when we are intimate with him. So why don't you stand?